Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk about impeachment theater in Washington. The Trayvon hoax author and filmmaker Joel Gilbert joins me. Black Lives Matter and a Maryland death. And finally, truth statistically on cops, crime, and race. And then I'll tell you, of course, why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hi, welcome again to America Can We Talk and to today's first five. To call this impeachment theater in Washington is not even melodramatic. At the close of yesterday's show, we, after we had Judge Jeanine Pirro on talking about what's happening in Washington, we did have, as predicted, the Democrats announcing, Nancy Pelosi announcing at a press conference that indeed the House is moving forward on impeachment. But let me make something clear. They're not really moving forward on impeachment. This is a complete theatrical fake out designed to confuse and mislead Democrat-based voters who have been egging on the Democrats to, try to get some reason to impeach Donald Trump, try to find something they can bring. But she really committed to nothing else. She basically said, we're doing all the things we have been doing, but man, this is official now. She's not willing to call a vote. She will not call a vote on the floor of the House. And the reason is, even if she thinks she could get to the majority needed to move forward on impeachment, if people, members of the House, in their hearts would like to go forward, she knows very well that many vulnerable Democrats serving in Congress cannot vote for to move impeachment forward because they live in districts that Donald Trump won and that those people feel very vulnerable. They do not want to be on record supporting impeachment. So it wasn't really much of an announcement at all. But two other developments happened today. One was President Trump actually released the transcript of his call with Ukrainian President Zelensky. This is fabulous. This is what someone who's actually innocent in their heart does. He did not, as now everyone can, can see, if you were willing to read it, everyone can see, he did not say to Zelensky, you know, here's the deal. You open up the investigation again of Biden and all of Joe Biden as vice president, Hunter Biden as board member Burisma, all that criminal corruption that Biden arm twisted you to drop. Trump did not say, bring it all back and we will give you more aid. Or if you don't bring that, if you don't start that prosecution, you will pull back your aid away. There was nothing like that. There was no quid pro quo. So contrast that with what we actually know the Democrats actually did. All of this issue, this alleged basis for impeachment, is the idea that Trump somehow tried to enlist the Ukrainians to hurt a presidential candidate, Joe Biden, by starting up the investigation again. What the Democrats really did, and this is not speculation, widely known fact, well reported, not denied by anyone, the Democrats themselves reached out to the um, Ukrainian president made clear by his own account that Ukraine uh, had bipartisan support for the U.S., but it could be jeopardized if, if uh, the uh, new president acquiesced to requests made by President Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, to investigate past corruption allegations. On top of that, so we've been, and we've been talking in this show, and I want to urge you again, if you haven't read Peter Schweitzer's book, 
talking about the depth and breadth of corruption under the Obama administration with Joe Biden and his son in the Ukraine, the idea that the Democrats think they're going to pull this over on the American people, that they're going to delude the American people into thinking impeachment's justified, justifying impeaching a president for doing maybe a hundredth of what Joe Biden is proven and bragging on national television to have done. This is, it is so outrageous. It is just, and I, as I said yesterday, Nancy Pelosi's in a tough spot. I, I think she knows that this impeachment effort will backfire. She knows it'll hurt the Democrats. She knows they don't have any re- legitimate basis for impeachment. She knows all of that. But she cannot placate the rabble-rousers in her base, both the members of Congress and also their voters, their Democrat voting base, who, who want Trump to somehow be removed from office. Last point in this first five is this. If you think of why President Trump won in 2016, a lot of people go to, yeah, build the wall, secure the border. But the second one was drain the swamp. That's what President Trump ran on. It's what his voters want him to do. And what he is doing right now, if he can get the Ukrainians to open that investigation. And by by the way, Ukrainian President Zelensky, he didn't seem to mind this at all. He wasn't saying, oh, no, we're kind of done with that. He's on board. He understands. Everyone understands who pays attention that Biden was involved extremely, extremely inappropriate arm twisting corruption involving his son and in the Ukraine. And Zelensky knows this. So what Trump won on the beside build the wall was drain the swamp. And in a really big picture way, that's all Trump is doing. He's getting the Ukrainians to look back into the unbelievably corrupt conduct on the part of Vice President Biden. And in that way, if it were to be exposed and brought out so everyone understands, that would be a swamp draining like we've never seen in Washington. And that, my friends, is today's first five. We have joining us, as I mentioned at the start of the show, we have author, filmmaker Joel Gilbert joining us. This is his book. I want to show you this book. It's called The Trayvon Hoax. You may realize that last, or remember last week on the show, we played a trailer from this. It's a book called The Trayvon Hoax and also a... Um, a movie, a documentary film that aired last week, and it is getting a lot of great attention. And I guess we're gonna start, if we have the very wonderful Matt, the producer, we have a little clip just to remind you what we played last week, and then we'll be talking directly, and I'm so excited to have him with Joel Gilbert. My message is to the parents of Trayvon Martin. You know, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. The shooting death of Trayvon Martin was ground zero for racial division in America. Trayvon Martin was killed for wearing a hoodie, uh, quite frankly. I decided to produce a film on how the case affects American politics to this day. It had started as a self-defense case, but then out of the blue, they found Trayvon's girlfriend. She is a minor child. This phone witness led to the most racially divisive trial since OJ. The girlfriend had written Trayvon's mother a letter. I put it in a box. Did you sign it at the bottom? Yes. What name did you use? Diamond Eugene. My investigation started with Trayvon's 750-page cell phone records. (laughs) I made a shocking discovery. Trayvon did have a girlfriend named Diamond Eugene, but she wasn't the witness at the trial. To understand what really happened, I knew I had to find the real diamond. I found a tape where Rachel confessed to prosecutors. Real guilty. Why do you feel real guilty? 
And then, finally, I found Trayvon's real girlfriend, Diamond Eugene. I was then able to reconstruct the shocking story of what really happened the month before and after the shooting. I used forensic handwriting analysis and even DNA to confirm what I had uncovered. Okay, I honestly don't want to take much more time to complete that trailer because I'm so excited we have joining us the author of the book and director of the documentary film, Joel Gilbert. Very quickly, he's a filmmaker based in Los Angeles. He's a political commentator, foreign policy and analyst, and he displayed this film and released this book last week, and it is changing the national conversation about what happened uh, in the Trayvon Martin trial that really let, had profound political implications in America. So first, welcome, Joel Gilbert. Nice to have you. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, I want to just jump right in with our questions. So you listeners heard in the trailer that the main witness in this prosecution was this young girl who was saying that she was the one on the phone with Trayvon at the time of this incident involving uh, George Zimmerman and ultimately leading to Trayvon being shot. But the, the person we all watched on national television as the girlfriend was not really the girlfriend. She was an actress. She was somebody that the Trayvon's family lawyer apparently located or someone located to have her act as that. So let me just start with this. How, uh, please, Joel, to start with in this case, isn't it accurate that before the girlfriend was located, the prosecutors were pretty much down the path of concluding that the prosecution the prosecution was not justified because all the facts seem to stack up in favor of George Zimmerman's depiction of what happened. Isn't that right? Yeah, let me kind of reset it for your audience. Uh, people remember Trayvon Martin uh, tragically was killed in, a, in an incident uh, February 26, 2012. The Sanford police investigated for two weeks. They looked at the 911 tapes, physical evidence, eyewitnesses, uh, and they came up with a conclusion after two weeks it's self-defense. It was not stand your ground, self-defense. The family attorney, Benjamin Crump, a week later, has a press conference, he holds up a digital recorder, and he says, I just found Trayvon's girlfriend who was on the phone with him last night. Uh, we found her last night, she did an audio recording. Her name is Diamond Eugene, she's 16 years old. And uh, she, he played a few excerpts that were kind of unintelligible, but that was enough for the media to jump on board. Obama said, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. LeBron James comes on board. And the, the prosecution, state of Florida, is pressured into appointing a special prosecutor. So the special prosecutor, two weeks later, comes to Miami from Jacksonville to interview Diamond Eugene. And Rachel, they go to Diamond Eugene's house. I got the address from unredacted documents. And she sent away, the, the prosecution sent to a different house and Rachel Gentel is there and she says, hi, I'm 18, I'm Rachel Gentel, but Diamond Eugene is my nickname and I lied about my age and I lied about my name. And she gives this ridiculous interview that she doesn't really know anything. And at the end she confesses, she's overwhelmed. You saw in the trailer, she tells the prosecutor, I ain't know about it. And they ignore that, and only based on Rachel's few statements in this interview, they indict Zimmerman. A year later, of course, she shows up in court, and it's a disaster. She can't read, she doesn't remember anything, her, her stories keep changing. So in this film, I actually go and I find Diamond Eugene, I find the real phone witness, and I call this the Trayvon hoax because it's the story of how a legitimate phone witness that's 
the Trayvon hoax was switched for a fake witness. And I also say the Trayvon hoax is the, the trick, the hoax the media plays on black Americans every day to convince them that there are armed white men in the streets looking to harm black people because of their skin color, and therefore they must seek shelter on the left and vote Democrat. So that's two ways you can look at the Trayvon hoax. But the bigger picture is that this case was ground zero for fake news, for race hoaxes, for fake witnesses. We saw that in the Kavanaugh hearing. All the strife, Ferguson effect, Freddie Gray, all the division in the country started right here in 2012. Before that, both blacks and whites considered race relations as positive. It has been negative ever since. So I'm hoping when people see this film and book, and so far so good, had a lot of great feedback. They're like, wow, this was a hoax. Everything that's happened in the past five years, all this racial division, complete nonsense, never should have happened. Wow, that was a great summary. Thank you so much. That was just a great summary. Uh, knocked out my next five questions, but that's okay. I have more of them. Okay. So I, first of all, I love it. I love that you did this. I love you took yeah. the time to go on the ground to figure out this story. And you didn't, by the way, set out to do this film with any suspicion about this witness. Is that right? Well, I initially was really fascinated by Andrew Gillum, who yeah. almost won the governorship of yeah. Florida. And it was right after Jay-Z had produced a six-part documentary on the uh, Zimmerman trial, which was very incendiary. And I recall looking at it that the voice of the girlfriend that, uh, uh, that the family attorney played for the, for the press yep. was very different than the voice of the girl that showed up in court. And that really set me thinking, you know what? That's not the same person. I mean, even people that looked at the trial six years ago were saying, wait a minute, this girl's 150 pounds heavier than Trayvon. She's a year older. I don't think that's his girlfriend. They didn't really believe it. Uh, but I went, I got Trayvon's cell phone record, 750 pages, 3,000 text messages, 3,000 contacts. And there she is, Diamond Eugene. She's texting Trayvon photos of herself. It's not Rachel Gentile. So I was able to, I had to go to Miami actually to go to all the high schools and get the yearbooks to really find her because Diamond was a middle name. And once I found her, I got in her social media. She's tweeting every 20 minutes, even right when Trayvon was shot, she was tweeting. So the whole story is there. And the bigger question is the, the corruption also of the, of the court system. How could the prosecutors who had all this information I had for a year all the investigators, subpoena powers. How could they not have known? Now you look also, I document in the film that in the book, prosecutors withheld evidence from the defense till just before the trial. They lied to the defense. They said, oh, Rachel's only 16. You can't talk to her till right before the trial. By then she was 19, you know. Uh, defense had to spend two thirds of their time in court just imposing sanctions to force the, the prosecution to give yeah. them the evidence they had a right to have. So I think it does speak to a very big corruption of the judicial system that got caught up in this agenda really to elect Barack Obama because the black vote was not certain for Obama in 2012. The economy had flatlined, illegals were coming in all the urban areas, uh, taking jobs, driving down wages. Nothing had improved for the black community under Obama. So Obama sent his uh, CRS, Community Relations Service, down to Sanford, Florida from the DOJ in Washington. And they said, oh, we're gonna investigate. But Judicial Watch pulled the documents. They really went down to incite and organize protests. Yes, yes. So, so right. Obama was, was in on this. And when you look at the entire film, you say, wow, 
it was a really evil idea to use the tragic death of a black teen to put a Hispanic man in prison so we can control black voters. It was a very evil plan. And I think this uh, project that I did really sets the record straight and exposes what went on. Joel, it's a public service what you did. I swear, it's a public service for America because you really are touching on all the ways in which this prosecution and this, you know, fortunately the jury did not convict George Zimmerman, but if they had, he would be potentially sitting in jail because of a preposterous hoax really inflicted on him and on the American people. But I want to go back to the notion that this woman was not the real, uh, the real girlfriend of Trayvon, this Rachel, uh, Rachel Gentel. She was not really his girlfriend. Who beside the family attorney, Benjamin Crump, figured that out? I mean, did the prosecutor realize it? Did, the, did Zimmerman's attorneys realize it? Who figured this out? Why didn't the media figure it out? I think it's a shocking and appalling that no one yeah. figured it out or apparently there's several questions here look it is a shocking that six years later an independent filmmaker like myself i just go and read the public documents i go on twitter and facebook and i figure the whole thing out why didn't the media want to do that it's because it it didn't serve their fear-filled racial narrative they didn't want to know uh as far as you know it's pretty hard to believe that the prosecution didn't know the way that they treated Rachel Gentel at the first interview, she said, I lied about my name, I lied about my age, I lied about a hospitalization, and I didn't even know about it. And they still used some of her statements to indict Zimmerman. Now, why didn't they say, let's just stop this nonsense right here? Now, the one person we kind of have a smoking gun that absolutely knew about the witness switch was Trayvon's mother, Sabrina Fulton, who's now running for uh, Miami commissioner Miami-Dade Commissioner, Isn't I think she has amazing? a lot of explaining. Yeah, she ahead. has a lot of explaining to do because uh, she didn't know beforehand, but right when it happened, she knew about the witness switch, and that's documented in the film. And she could have or should have come forward and stopped this trial and said that, no, I'm sorry, that's not Diamond Eugene. I found Diamond Eugene. I met her. She's in the movie. And the whole story, I just expose it, and it's just very shocking that no one chose to do this before. Now, certainly I get asked about, like you said, about Zimmerman's attorneys. I had spoken to them and they only got Rachel's identity and talked to her six weeks before the trial. And though they knew there were a lot of problems here, they really had already prepared a self-defense defense. So they didn't know what to do or what to pursue. Uh, I really blame the prosecution for withholding so much evidence up to the last minute. Oh, I do too. I'm a former lawyer, and honestly, if Zimmerman had been convicted, there would be reversible error just on the withholding of evidence. You can't force someone into a criminal prosecution defending themselves and withhold evidence. I think that's astonishing. But the other thing is, you know, the, the larger impact on American society, the Black Lives Matter movement was really launched as a result of the Trayvon Martin killing and the the belief the uh narrative put out there that there were there was just a, a witch hunt mentality around america black men can't feel safe and the black lives matter movement in my view has been extremely detrimental and divisive to our culture right uh, i'll say look no one has suffered more from the trayvon hoax than the black youth of america uh, black lives matter if you look on their website they say we were founded because of the trayvon martin case but if you look at their agenda on their website their agenda is globalism, transgenderism, black villages, all this crazy nonsense that came out of the 1960s May 19 communist organization from these white liberals. It's all a white liberal agenda. 
And the Black Lives Matter kind of just using the the concern or anger of black people over the Trayvon Martin case to get them into this agenda that doesn't have anything to do with their own interests. Uh, so, so much wrong has happened because of this case. Homicides are up 33%. It's been a crime disaster uh, for the black communities around America because of the Ferguson effect. Everything started here at this case where you could have fake news. Now we know fake witnesses. Uh, the media just goes along with it. And uh, no one has suffered more than, than the black kids around America from this hoax. Absolutely true. And the sense it is uh, suffering on the part of black youths in America, if you really, if they really believe the agenda, the message of Black Lives Matter, that this is a country rife with racism and filled with police who hate uh, young black people and will engage in unjustified violence and white people who hate, uh, have racial hatred and will engage in unjustified violence. It has just, this case and its outcome has just devastated America. Right, let me comment, which is, uh Trayvon Martin was a good kid. I read all his text messages. I got to know him in the last eight months of his life. He went into a downward spiral when his father divorced his stepmother, uh, Alicia Stanley, and we even reveal in the film for the first time, uh, Zimmerman's in the, in the movie, George Zimmerman, he'd never been interviewed before. He didn't even testify at his own trial. And he said, Trayvon asked him, please tell mom Alicia, I'm sorry. That tells a story right there. After he wanted- he'd been shot. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so that was when Trayvon started a downward spiral where he got into fighting, acting out, gun dealing and heavy marijuana use. And that led to his horrible decision to, to attack Zimmerman. But he wasn't the rocket scientist the media made him out to be. He was not a thug. He got in a downward spiral into fighting and showing off. And, and it, it was a terrible result. But his legacy was stolen by left-wing activists and the media for their agenda, for the agenda to get Obama reelected, to divide the country, to harvest black voters. Uh, Trayvon's true legacy is really a teachable moment. And the teachable moment is not that there are armed white men in the streets who want to shoot people because of their skin color. Uh, the real legacy is to understand that the, the lack of strong black men in the home to give guidance away from gangs and drugs the absence of those strong black men in the home is what is wrong with the black community, not armed white men in the streets. Amen. And actually, you're, you're uh, repeating or uh, parroting some of the, uh, not parroting, but you're also saying the same kind of arguments that Candace Owens was saying in Congress. I played her yesterday. She was testifying at a white supremacy hearing, just saying, uh, you know, mock, say, mocking the Democrats, just saying the problem in our community is not this alleged rampant white supremacy. Yes, there's some of it, but basically it's, it's, a, a not, it's not in our first hundred of, uh, list of problems. The problem is fatherlessness, poor education, uh, you know, just attention from the family. One thing I want to ask you, so all this you uncovered in the Trayvon hoax, what is it you think, how do we move past it as a culture, as a society? How do we fix it? I think it's a great starting point. I mean, because most people remember they draw their uh, racial narrative back to this. Uh, yeah. Race relations were all rated positive before 2012, before this incident, and it's been negative ever since. I grew up in Tennessee, East Tennessee in the uh, 80s, and black and white kids, we all grew up together from elementary school. I never heard the N-word in my life. And they want to tell us that, well, since 2012, suddenly America is now racist, so if you're black, you have to vote for Democrats to protect yourself. It is the dumbest 
most <laughs> insulting narrative. It's racist in itself. Yes. So I think this is a good starting point. I think uh, Rachel Gentile needs to come forward and admit what she told the prosecutors when they wouldn't listen. I ain't know about it. Diamond Eugene needs to come forward and tell what really happened in that incident because she tried to disappear. After the incident, uh, she tried not to come forward. I think it was because she knew a lot more that likely Trayvon did intend to attack Zimmerman, but and she didn't want to come forward to say that. She was forced to do an, a phone interview through a series of coercion and threats and phone calls from Trayvon's friends, uh, pressure from the parents. Uh, and when she did finally do the phone call, she just... She's 16 years old at the time. She just said, yes, Mr. Crump, yes, yes, yes. He was just getting some Skittles. He didn't do anything wrong. So she kind of just agreed with everything Crump said. And then, of course, she bailed out and Rachel Gentile was substituted. Uh, Trayvon's mother knew about the substitution at that time when it happened. And she should come forward and, 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 and let's have a healing. And once people can admit that this entire case where the race hoaxes started, fake news, fake witnesses, Let's let's admit what really happened, that it was all total nonsense. And the, uh, the in America, there's only love. Americans are all brothers, black and white. We're all brothers in liberty. There's no racial strife, racial hatred, total nonsense. And it's the media and the politicians that have used Trayvon's tragic death, have used George Zimmerman to promote this evil narrative somehow that uh, there's a racial division that we have to be separate because of our skin tones. How dumb is that? Very dumb is the answer. At the beginning of this show, I meant to recount, and I want to take just one minute to do it for our listeners, and then I have one final question for you. What I meant to recount for our listeners, for those, everyone knows that Trayvon Martin recalls the prosecution, recalls that George Zimmerman was found not guilty, and that there was great anger at the outcome, at the verdict. There was an argument that there was a, justice wasn't done because Trayvon Martin's killer did not end up going to prison. And to be very clear about George Zimmerman, his story didn't change from the beginning. He was not following Trayvon Martin around inside and in dark of the night in this housing complex. He, he did get out of his car because you wonder what it was a, it, you know, he thought his behavior initially was questionable, but it was really an aggression on Trayvon Martin's part toward George Zimmerman, very quick, quickly uh, devolved into Trayvon Martin on top of George Zimmerman and banging his head into the cement. Point being, George Zimmerman did fear for his life. It was legitimate fear for his life. And he ended up using his own gun, which he could get to, to shoot Trayvon Martin in self-defense because he thought Trayvon was going to kill him. What I just recounted to you has been George Zimmerman's story all along. It was also the story of the one, one witness, I think it was at least, who opened a door in this apartment complex, opened a door and said, um, hey, knock it off. I'm calling the police. What's going on? Or something like that. So I really want to get at, and I meant to re review that in the beginning for those people who haven't really focused on this case recently. George Zimmerman's story didn't change. The prosecutors weren't even going to prosecute. So the consequence of this fake witness coming forward and filling in, doing whatever it was the prosecutor wanted to make the conviction or to make the case had a profound impact on our country. It really had a, a uh, it, it caused the trial to go forward and caused and, and really contributed to the massive uh, outpouring of, of sympathy for his parents, uh, Trayvon's parents and anger at the justice system um, because she was willing to perpetuate the narrative that the uh, family, I don't know if the family were cooked up, but at least that the defenders of Trayvon had cooked up. You wanna correct anything about that before I get to my last question? 
Well, you know, there's a few things in there. Zimmerman is in the movie. Uh, you can really see he talks about his background. He's an Obama supporter, civil rights activist, Hispanic kid who speaks fluent Spanish. In his free time, he would spend his spare money taking black kids whose parents were in prison out to dinner and to play basketball because he said he wanted them to feel they were important. So they turned Zimmerman, who is a minority advocate and a minority himself, into something he wasn't to shape this ridiculous narrative that they then used to uh, divide the country. I'm glad you add that. Yes, I meant to add that too. Okay, one last thing. So you've been, you had your, uh, you showed this documentary film at the National Press Club last week. The book is out, the film is out. Do you think you're getting through to people? Are you changing people's minds? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm doing the same thing. I, I have my book right here too, that's right. Okay. That's the movie right there. And we have that at home. So, so are you hearing reaction? People are uh, surprised and learning things and maybe changing the view of things? Yeah, I mean, you can just look online. There are some movie reviews done by some African-American teenagers. And they're saying, you know, everything I thought I knew about this case, I didn't know. And now I see we got played. I get emails from people, comments. A lot of black kids, they're saying, wow, we were raised on this. Yep. that somehow you know there's white people want to hurt black people and they realize they got played america got played by this epic race hoax and i have not had one negative comment people are just saying like you really did your homework you did the investigation all the evidence is there and rachel gentel was a fake witness the prosecution should have known or did know and uh it created this terrible division for no reason so so far i think people are really understanding and dialing into it and uh, they're getting pretty mad about what was done. I love hearing that, that it is just grotesquely unjust what was done, and I think people are gonna have that reaction more and more. We don't wanna be lied to, we don't wanna be played, we want our justice system to be fair. So Joel Gilbert, I, I wanna commend you for the book and the movie and this mission to wake America up about what really happened in the Trayvon Martin prosecution. So thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, thanks. Okay, folks, this is the book. One last time, Joel Gilbert, The Trayvon Hoax. Cannot encourage you strongly enough. Get that book, read it, and then you can tell your friends to do the same thing. Be a good Christmas gift for your friends. I want to turn now and talk to two other stories. Talk about two other stories. One, the next one related to this Trayvon Martin hoax, uh, unbelievable incident that is just uh, really kind of waking up a lot of American thought, as you were hearing from listening to the author. The Black Lives Matter movement sprang out of the Trayvon Martin hoax. The Trayvon Martin hoax that was perpetrated on the American people and the Black Lives Matter movement, the main narrative of that movement is America is not safe for young black men. They may become random victims for no reason at all. They may end up, you know, uh, victims of police shootings unjustified. They may end up, just white people in the streets may end up hurting them and shooting them. This whole narrative of America as a deeply racist country was pounced on right after the Trayvon verdict came in that George Zimmerman found not guilty. The Black Lives Matter grew and moved out of that case and this narrative that tries to paint America as deeply racist and hateful. And many Americans have been talking about it since that time. This, I, we, many Americans reject the argument of these leftists. I love that Joel Gilbert pointed out that the reason, in, in great part, that the left got behind this, that the prosecutors wanted to go along, that the whole Obama administration wanted this, it fit their narrative, their determination to scare 
black Americans into thinking this country is filled with racists and the only way they can be safe is to continue to elect Democrats. It is a truly vicious and malicious and horrible hoax perpetrated on America. And so Black Lives Matter move forward, funded, just so we're clear on this, by George Soros, who pretty much hates everything about America, funded by George Soros, and in many ways, not just Soros, but many of the tentacles and snaky, the, uh, the snake-like connections of all these different organizations he funds, continue to perpetrate the Black Lives Matter narrative, continue to stir up racial suspicion and hatred and distrust of people. This is what the Black Lives Matter movement does. And it's so telling that on their website, it does. You'd think Black Lives Matter would be about, you know, racial justice and standing up and let's, you know, urging re-examining of certain cases or urging uh, laws that change. It's not, it's just a cabal of radical leftist ideas tossed onto a website called Black Lives Matter. They're into every left-wing agenda item you can imagine. But I wanna focus in this segment though, is on the impact of this Black Lives Matter movement springing out of the Trayvon Martin hoax. In Maryland, just this past weekend, I think it was on Friday, uh, there was a, an incident at a, um, a fair. You know, they, people have, a lot of places have county fair and state fair. They had the Great Frederick Fair in Maryland this past Friday. At the Great Frederick Fair in Maryland, a 59-year-old man, last name of Weed, uh, named John Weed, 59 years old, white guy, went to the fair with his family. At the fair, two young brothers, two young black men who are brothers, 15 and 16 years old, approached him, asked him for a dollar, supposedly a dollar, and he said no. The older brother, the 16-year-old, punched John Weed in the back of his head, and as he's kind of reeling from that, and some you know, short amount of time elapsed, then the 15-year-old brother charged this man, punched him in the gut really hard, causing him to fall over, and he later died the next day from his injuries. And I'm telling you this story to make a few points about how insidious the impact has been of the Trayvon Martin hoax and the Black Lives Matter movement. To start with, as soon as this incident occurred, of course, you know, the police got involved, they investigated, they took statements from everybody. They found these two young men, these two young, and they are minors, so we don't even know their names, I don't even wanna know their names, 15 and 16 year old brothers, uh, and they were arrested for their for beating on this guy. In fact, after they had killed him, he's on the ground, uh, one or both of them was spitting in his face before they ran away. So this happened this Frederick Fair, and the reason I raise this is this. The police, have investigated. They've talked to every witness who was there that they can find. They have numerous people who actually filmed the incident on their cameras, have video of the incident, so they can see what happened. And they were arraigned, they were arrested, of course, and they, they went before a judge. And this is, these are two young men, these 15 and 16 year old, went before a judge with the, uh, you know, facing serious charges, of course. Their parents, the, both parents of these uh, two brothers, came to court, begged the judge to let the boys re be released and come home, stay at home, pending the uh, actual in indictment or, and the legal proceedings and the trial, let them stay at home. These boys are, they're not high school dropouts. They live, they live in, in this Maryland area. They attend public school. Uh, they're reported to have played sports at public school. These are not like homeless kids. These are kids with parents who care, who live in a home that has parents who you know provide for them and, and they go to school, they have the community around them and the, and the sports they play. 
but they engaged in this conduct at the fair. They're alleged to have. And so that incident, horrible as it is, and I can tell you, of course I feel terrible for this family this, of, the, of the victim, the 59-year-old dad or man who just shows up at the fair and ends up in this situation, you know, ends up being killed because he wouldn't give a dollar to someone who was asking him. I actually feel for the parents of these two boys because they probably thought of all the things their kids could be doing, you know, things that could be troublemaking, things, things that might be dangerous, they wanted to go to the fair. The fair is, you know, kind of wholesome entertainment. You can see the animals, go on the rides. That's what their boys chose to do. However, this incident occurred and here we sit. The judge would not release these two. But I get around to this story and the, the, the hideous and insidious impact of Black Lives Matter and the Trayvon, Matter, Trayvon Martin hoax. The, as soon as this story came out, there were stories out on the internet, videos out on the internet, tweets out on the internet, claiming that the incident actually involved um, a white supremacist um, who had been taunting the boys and threatened the boys, and the boys in self-defense, because they were afraid for their lives, beat up on or, or punched the guy and ended up and by the way the police uh, have acknowledged that as soon as these two boys were arrested they expressed shock and and truly seemed sad that this man had died they you know they didn't shoot him they just punched him they were they were shocked that he had passed on but the point is almost immediately after this story a guy who has a twitter handle in which he you know, in Twitter, you tell him who you are. He lists that he's a race baiter. He put a story out on the internet that these two boys were not actually, uh, you know, in trouble for, for legitimate reasons, that actually the victim, the white guy, who hadn't done anything, there's video, you can see he did nothing. He was a white supremacist. He was screaming racial epithets at them. And, and out of fear for their lives and fear for their safety, you know, they got aggressive and punched the guy. As it turned out, you know, they're very sorry he passed on. But basically, they're trying to make the point that, that this entirely was the fault of the, um, uh, of the white guy. And this, so they put a, they put a tweet out, and, they, and this guy went wild on Twitter. The, the tweet claiming that the white supremacist, the white guy was a white supremacist who was an aggressor, got like 200,000 views. I think it was finally taken down because there's nothing to it. But people trying to write about it have been going to this author and saying, where'd you get that idea? In fact, in his, in his story, in this, the race baiter story, he's saying, oh yeah, witnesses were saying, you know, this white guy was a white supremacist and he was the aggressor and it's all his fault. So these newspaper people go back to them and they say, who are you talking about? Who are the witnesses? Name the witnesses. And he won't, because they aren't there. And I'm getting at this to say, this Trayvon Martin thing planted the seed in the minds of so many people that it's okay to concoct stories of white supremacism. It's okay to make up things that aren't true, that the probable narrative really is somehow these young men who were involved in this were, the, um, were somehow the... Um, uh, you know, the, the victims and that the white guy was somehow this horrific white supremacist, it's okay to make things up because the underlying narrative of the, of the Black Lives Matter, they claim, must be true. This is a terrible country. And so I'm, I raised this story. I don't know this family. I don't know these kids. I don't know if these young teenagers, though, who engage in this conduct at the fair, they've been raised in a time when, since the Trayvon Martin case happened, you have 
leftists all over this country, including the former president, urging people to think of this country as a deeply racist place where you must fear for your life at all times, where there's a racist around every corner. This whole white supremacist, racist country thing narrative started with Trayvon, started with Black Lives Matter, and it's, it's just wormed its way into so many stories, so many lives. It's been a horrific impact on young Americans. This whole story has been, it is not a crime, it's not a victimless crime. This concoction and elevation and exaggeration of the problem of racism in this country has true victims and the most, the people mostly victims are young black Americans who actually live their life in fear thinking this is true. And it ties back, we talked about yesterday, where we had the extremely, or whatever day it was, the extremely wonderful testimony of Candace Owens in front of the uh, Congress saying that the, pointing out again, the Democrats raise this, narr this racist narrative every four years in election cycle, every four years to scare black voters into thinking that the country is rife with racism and the only protection they possibly have is to vote for Democrats. And Candace Owens called them out on it. This film, the Trayvon film, calls them out on it and you should call them out too. Folks, I got one more story I wanna hit and I'm gonna, then we're gonna go to why it matters to you. But this is, you know, every time we have these discussions about any of these kind of incidents, I'm always, always drawn to coming back to the data, the facts, the truth about cops, crime, and race. There was a recent study, and it was reported, and a recent study uh, involving crime statistics. It was a study done by the National Academy of Sciences. So it's not some you know, right-wing extremist group. This study involved a database of 917 officer-involved fatal shootings in 2015. 917 officer-involved fatal shootings in 2015 from more than 650 police departments. This is answering the lie, the lie, the dishonest narrative of the Black Lives Matter and the left that our country's filled with white police officers who just can't wait to find a reason to shoot an innocent black man. This is the narrative of the Black Lives Matter. It is the narrative of the Trayvon hoaxers, and it must be, it must be exposed, it must be rejected. So this study, this is a big, big study. The authors of the study were at Michigan State University and University of Maryland, did a big study of all this data, and here's a quick summary of the data. Or let me just, you know, we're gonna, I have some of the summary and the, and the why it matters. I'm gonna just tell you some really, really punchy things. There were, of 55% of the victims in those shootings were, um, of the, were white, 27% black, 19% Hispanic between 90 and 95% of the civilians shot by officers, between 90 and 95% of civilians shot by officers in 2015, the civilians were attacking the police or other citizens. 90% of those people shot were armed with weapons. So the overwhelming, nearly all of these victims, people shot by police officers, 90% had weapons, 90 to 95 were actually in the process of attacking an officer or another civilian. Early, and this, I mean, there have been study after study showing some amazing things, including that white officers are not more likely to shoot black civilians. In fact, just the opposite is true. White officers are not more likely to be the ones shooting black civilians. What happens is you have the Trayvon hoax media mentality piling on, jumping on the case, 
telling a story over and over like Trayvon was told and all of us getting drawn into the narrative instead of looking at facts. On my website, americacanbetalk.org, on the homepage under show, go down a list of links, you can read this study. It's called, this title, There Is No Epidemic of Racist Police Shootings. This article, gotta encourage you to read it. You just gotta get these facts to understand how insidious it is that we've had our society just pummeled with the argument of the left that we are deeply racist society filled with white police officers who shoot people for absolutely no reason at all and do it recklessly and irresponsibly and regularly because of skin color and so there are just um there, this this the data would make you just embarrassed to ever have believed this narrative at all uh, and i'm gonna want to find one other quick factoid in here um okay in another study by the Justice Department, the Obama-era Justice Department, black officers are 67% more likely than white officers to mistakenly shoot an unarmed black suspect. Let that sink in. We got to roll to our Why It Matters to You. We're, time went by so quickly today, but I love talking with you every time. Let's turn to Why It Matters to You. We have on the impeachment theater in Washington, we have the... Um, uh, Joe Biden and his son Hunter epitomized the swamp. Reed Schweitzer's book, Secret Empires, the released unredacted transcript of Trump's conversation with Ukrainian President Zelensky. Trump's now famous, famous call is part of draining the swamp, exposing the obvious corruption of the Bidens. Pelosi and the Dems treat this as a trigger for an official impeachment inquiry against Trump, ignoring the well-known, undisputable, far more serious corruption of the Biden team while he still runs for president. The Dems have no clue how out of touch they are with America. I think this is gonna backfire big time. What the Trayvon hoax has wrought, every American should read the Trayvon hoax by Joel Gilbert. Black Lives Matter was formed in response to the Trayvon Martin case. That case was built on a lie, a bogus false witness. A generation of black youths in America have grown up believing the false narratives surrounding the Trayvon Martin death, horrible consequences. Ask yourself, why wouldn't any Democrat, why wouldn't President Obama or former uh, or Eric Holder, former Attorney General, set the record straight once they see this film? Would they, you think they're going to come forward and say, you know what, this Trayvon thing got out of control, he, he may have reasons that he was a troubled youth, but this was not a corruption of our system, this was not a racial attack. Do you think they'd have the moral courage to say that? And the answer is no. Candace Owens' words, white supremacy is isolated, uncoordinated, and fringe occurrence, but Democrats use it to create fear of racial prejudice and to retain the black vote. The race baiters on the American left lie. What the Trayvon hoax has wrought, the Trayvon hoax, Martin hoax produced the Black Lives Matter narrative. The innocent young unarmed black men are at risk in America of being shot by white police officers for no reason at all. This is the narrative of the left, or just because they were walking down the street. The truth on cops, crime, and race, what's really true? A new study, National Academy of Sciences, 917 officers involved shootings, fatal shootings in 2015, 650 police departments, victims, I already gave you those stats, white officers, and this is an important factoid, white officers are no more likely than black or Hispanic officers to shoot black civilians. So this all blame the white cops thing is a lie. Victims, 90-95% were attacking police or citizens, 90% were armed, and a Department of Justice Obama era 2015 study of Philadelphia police black officers 67% more likely, black officers, 67% more likely than white officers to mistakenly shoot an unarmed suspect. 
We can always do better. No one's claiming the police are perfect, but the Black Lives Matter narrative is um, of an epidemic of unjustified, racially motivated shootings is false, and it has harmed this precious country. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Please come back every day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Can We Talk? Truth About America.